Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging, the podcast where you and your church will find answers to the difficult questions that arise as we grow older. On behalf of the Baptist Home, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brames. I am here with Dr. Jeremiah Johnston today, and Dr. Johnston is the founder, he is the primary uh, person for Christian Thinkers Society. Uh, Dr. Johnston, could you just share a little bit about the society and your role as an apologist in general? Yeah, Andy, it's so great to be with you and just say hello to everyone at the Baptist Home. What an incredible mission over 100 years, and I'm just honored to be included uh, ministering to those that are listening right now and those that are watching. And it's so neat that we have this medium to talk. I'm actually broadcasting or being recorded by uh, from Houston, Texas, where we live. So um, if you haven't been to the nation of Texas, definitely come to the nation when you can. But Andy, you know, the passion of my life is training believers in Jesus Christ to follow the great commandment to love God with their heart, soul, and mind. And I think that's such a powerful verse that we see in the scriptures and the gospels, you know, Jesus is asked by, it's either by the nomikos in one gospel or by the grammatus in the other, by the Pharisees and the scribes, the experts in the law, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And you remember that there were 613 in the Pentateuch to choose from. And Jesus says, he actually, he quotes the Shema, but he changes it. He modifies it. Only Jesus can do. And he says, you know, the Shema is you know, love God with your heart, soul, strength, Jesus adds, and your mind. We need to have a thinking faith. And so, you know, when we have a thinking faith, it penetrates every aspect uh, when we think the way God wants us to think. I was studying in my devotions recently that powerful Christ hymn in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, this attitude, this mindset be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about how we think. And so it's been my privilege. Um, I, I was educated at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Midwestern Baptist College. My wife and I were in local ministry, but thanks to the wonderful professors there, including Dr. Rodney Harrison, who I hope to share my admiration for at some point in this interview, because he made a profound impact on both my wife, Audrey, and me and our family. But I was exposed to some excellent thinkers who loved Jesus Christ. They loved the scriptures and they were effective on the front lines. And so as an apologist, um, you know, I, that was something I aspired to be. But I will say this about my ministry, and I think for those that are listening, like I became my ministry before I ever wanted to have a ministry. Does that make sense to you? Sure, like, I just, I just became my ministry. Like, um, I, I, I wanted to be a Christian thinker myself. I had a lot of questions, still do. And it's neat that God is a big boy. He can take our difficult questions. And so to make a long story short, my wife, I ended up doing a PhD and, uh, and also an MA and had the privilege, but all, all the end game was always Christian thinker society. Even when I was in England working on my, on my PhD, my terminal degree, the end game was not to join the ivory tower. It was to help people just like those that are listening to us and watching us right now to encourage their faith with the great evidences, the great answers for our faith, but not just so we could just be intellectual about it, but that so we could be holistic and have a vibrant faith that impacts our community. And gosh, do we need it right now more than ever. And so we launched Christian Thinker Society. I'm overwhelmed by it. Um, it's my privilege to write books and Bible studies, and we've done podcasts and media and events. And of course, we love the local church. Um, but I, I have to say this, Andy, can I just tell you about Dr. Harrison for a moment? Oh, do you mind? Oh, please do. Um, please do. So 
I hope all of you listening have had a chance to meet Dr. Harrison, the president of the Baptist Home. Um, <laughs> I'll never forget as a seminary student, Dr. Harrison wanted to teach us how to pray more effectively. And that's something I certainly am still working on in my sure. own life. Um, and so what does he do? He doesn't take us to a monastery. He doesn't take us to a chapel. We go in the middle of a very busy Starbucks and we all sit in a circle and, you know, we have our coffee as I do now. Then they said, you know what, we're going to learn how to pray in public for each other. And I'm just going to start praying with my eyes open, locked on to the person across the circle where we were sitting from Dr. Harrison. And then we all just started one at a time, locking eyes as if I'm locking eyes with you, praying sure. for you in the middle of the Starbucks. Now, have you ever prayed for someone like without breaking eye contact? I don't know that it's a little awkward. You, what did you say? I don't, I don't know that I have. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little awkward. Um, but what a lesson on prayer that Dr. Harrison taught us that day. Isn't it amazing? Here I am as someone who's been privileged to study at some of the highest levels. And I look back and Dr. Harrison taking us out in the public place to Starbucks. We weren't being obnoxious. I mean, if you just saw us and you couldn't hear us, you would just think we were talking to each other, but we were all praying for each other. And I've just never forgotten that. Dr. Harrison is such a wonderful leader, such a wonderful Christian man. And, and again, his mentorship is evidenced in my life and now what I'm doing with Christian Thinker Society, as are so many of the great professors um, that I've had the privilege, my wife and I both, to, to, uh, to, to just learn under their wonderful tutelage. So sorry for the long answer, but that's the history. No, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. And I, I think that will help uh, many, both within the Baptist home, within the organization, know a little bit more about Dr. Harrison and how he, as, as I've joked before, you know, many people try to think outside the box. Dr. Harrison, I'm not certain knows that there is a box. So that's right. You know, that's a, that's a way of, uh, of communicating that as, as you've shared to, in helping people learn to pray in a, in a different place in a different way. So, well, that's right. wonderful. Well, as a part of your thinking, uh, as you said, you, you do many things, you speak, you speak in churches, you speak in conferences, uh, but a part of that is writing books, Dr. Johnson, and, and so you've re recently written a book, I'm not even certain it's released yet, oh. uh, about the shalom of God, so yeah. explain shalom a little bit for our audience, and, and where you got the idea overall for writing the book. Well, a Christian Thinkers Society, and I would encourage people to check out our website at christianthinkers.com, one of the neat hallmarks of our ministry is we've received questions from believers all over not only America, but the United Kingdom and just people connecting with us from wherever they're at. And Andy, to answer your specific question, I began to notice after receiving hundreds and even thousands of questions from people that believers had so many questions about anxiety, about depression, about the blues, you, you call it whatever you want in your generation, but we can call it anxiety, we can call it depression, and these whole challenges that, you know, we love Jesus Christ with all our heart, and yet we sometimes challenge with physical dysfunctions of the brain, and so here I am, I've done my PhD on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, and I've written widely, and uh, but I've written widely about unanswered questions, and I began to notice that there were so many questions from Christians who were struggling, and they were not living that, that life that God wants to, to live that's called shalom, to flourish. And so, you know, you don't want to write a book that people aren't asking questions about, right? Um, right. You know, there's so much in the seminary level. I hate to say we, at, at the seminary, and I can say this as, a prof as someone who has been a professor, 
we sometimes are answering questions in higher education that no one is asking in the real world. <laughs> and uh, this is a real world question. And so I began to notice this all the way back, not to date this podcast, but years ago, um, just so many people struggling, suicide, depression, anxiety. And um, wow, uh, that, that has only been magnified through recent events. And so this is an issue that was also an issue in the time of Jesus. It was an issue for individuals in the New Testament. And so how do I answer this huge question about anxiety, depression, without getting pigeonholed into like a mental health book or a, a book that is, um, I wanted to have a book that would touch people's hearts in a very positive way. And so as I'm a gospel scholar, that's my area of training. And Jesus spoke a lot about this word shalom. It shows up 550 or so times in the scriptures. And Andy, I think next to Jesus's own name, it is the most wonderful word in the scriptures, shalom. And it's something that those of us as followers of Jesus are very, uh, I don't know if it's because of our distance from Israel. I don't know if it's our lack of understanding of shalom, but did you know God wants us to flourish? He wants us to flourish in mind. He wants us to flourish in our relationship with him. And Jesus actually goes so far in his Sermon on the Mount to say that, you know, the Christian life should be almost like giggly, you know, and I don't mean by silly, but I mean happy. Golly, we're victorious in Jesus Christ, and we need to we need to live that truth in our life. And so, how do we do it? And so, I I want I wrote a book called Unleashing Peace, and how you can experience the shalom of God in your personal pursuit of happiness. And it's uh, over sixty thousand words. I was honored that Pastor Greg Laurie wrote the foreword, uh, a man who um, God has used tremendously, but they lost their son tragically in an automobile accident and to hear his his expression of how you can experience peace the shalom the flourishing of god even amidst adversity and tragedy even was so powerful so it was very uh relevant to the forward of the book and so i ask a lot of hard-hitting questions and we we go i have the privilege to go through what what does shalom look like and then how do we live it out and then specifically maybe we can get into it a little more how do we experience the peace of God in our life as Christians? Because I'm sure many of the individuals living, uh, watching and listening to us right now, you've been a Christian for a long time. And there are things that you have experiences in your faith that have developed your own personal experience of the peace of God. But it's something that Paul was always learning and the Apostle Paul was always sharing about. So that's, that, that's the big idea of the book, but very practical in nature as well. Oh, wonderful. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So uh, let's let's begin to go there a little bit, Jeremiah, with what keeps us from desiring that? We, we realize that anxiety is a part of our lives, as you said, recent events, 2020, now into 2021. Uh, we, we see a lot of things that, that preoccupy our minds, keep us from God. But, but could you get a little bit specific with that? And then relatedly, what are some things that steal that peace, that that shalom, uh, that we all desire, but but that we're not willing to uh, to really go forth to find ourselves. What what, would, what are some things you would say towards that? Well, there's so many directions that we can go. Um, the first place that I would go would be to the Book of Habakkuk, actually, because um, I find this fascinating. And I actually have my Bible open to the Book of Habakkuk. Some of us um, we pray far too religiously. Hmm. Um, we're, we're not really honest with God about what we're facing. 
and honest at the level of Lord, I don't understand what, what just happened in my life or father, you know, I, I can't, I can't reconcile um, my experiences with your promises. Can you help me? And in the book of Habakkuk, if you take time to read the 56 verses in the book of Habakkuk, it's so powerful because again, let's just set the, set the, the uh, cultural, uh, what was going on from a Bible background. He was getting ready to prophesy the doom of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, God was raising up to destroy Judah. And when you think about that, that's your responsibility to prophesy that. And in, in Habakkuk chapter one, Habakkuk does what's called lament prayers. Now, it's a super spiritual term to say lament. It's more like complaining to God. Did you know you can complain to God? Like it's not a sin to complain to God. Okay. It's not a sin to lament. This is where that point comes in that we pray far too religiously sometimes. How long, O Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry to you about violence and you do not save? Habakkuk was like screaming from the bottom of his heart, Lord, I need your help. And you know, what's powerful is and, and this is the big point from the book, one of the, one of the big points. It's not original to me, but I think I've stood on the shoulders of some great thinkers before me. This whole notion that in the Christian life, we cannot live on explanations. We have to live on the promises of God. Hmm. We cannot live on explanations. We're going to live on the promises of God, which goes, so God, God's first answer to Habakkuk comes in verse 5. And, 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 and he's like, hey, Habakkuk, don't worry, I'm here. Uh, you're not going to have to wait too much longer. I'm raising up Nebuchadnezzar to literally annihilate and to, to decimate Judah. And you can imagine that just probably caused an even greater panic attack because in Habakkuk's first concern is just the injustice that he sees in Judah with, with his fellow people. Uh, now he realizes God is raising up an even more wicked enemy to destroy Judah. God, how can you do this? Um, how can you do this? And the Lord answers in Habakkuk chapter two so powerfully. And he says, first and foremost, he says, I am doing, he said, write it down in verse two. And again, he uses this passage that I think is probably Andy, one of the most misquoted passages in all of the Bible. You've probably heard this from Habakkuk where God literally says, I'm doing something in your midst that if anyone were to tell it to you, you wouldn't believe it. And we've heard that real positive kind of description, haven't we? Like God's doing something so great, you wouldn't believe it even if he told you. Well, no, God was doing something you wouldn't believe if he told you. It was just going to get a lot worse. Now, I can relate to that in the last year. I, maybe some of you guys can relate to that when you look at what's happening. And it's powerful. Habakkuk goes from lamenting and he realizes he has to live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, the just will live by faith. A passage that's quoted in Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, right before the great hall of faith, where we hear 20 times by faith, by faith, by faith. It's in Hebrews 10 that the author of Hebrews goes back to Habakkuk. The righteous one will live by faith. And so, again, we faith those promises of God. Now, here's the really cool thing, and I, I don't want to preach, Andy, but I'm so passionate about how we can have this peace in our life. God ends his answer, his second answer to Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter two. And he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Now, because we're reading that in English, not in Hebrew, we miss the Hebrew onomatopoeia. Now that's a fun word, an onomatopoeia. 
it's the word has in Hebrew. Um, it's like, shh. Now, I'm a dad of five kids, including triplet boys. So I do hush shh, a lot and a lot sure. louder than that. God ends his, his answer, which is just, he gives them a revelation of how great he is. He doesn't answer specific. He goes, I'm just going to show you how great I am. That's what God does when we, when we get to know him more. And he says, Habakkuk, hush, I'm in total control. Be silent before me. And then in Habakkuk chapter three, Andy, there's probably the most beautiful Psalm in all the old Testament. And it ends with this beautiful thing, though the fig does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stall, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Listen to verse 19. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer. He enables me to walk on mountain heights. That's how Habakkuk ends. So he goes from lamenting, which it's okay to lament. So that would be the first step of peace to faithing the faithfulness of God. He gets a greater vision of God, and then he's at peace. And it really reminds me of Prince Caspian. I've been reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia to the, the entire series. We're now in the final book. But back in, book, uh, in the book Prince Caspian, uh, for those of you that have read the Chronicles of Narnia, when Lucy sees Aslan finally again for a second time, because she had met him, obviously, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. She sees Aslan, and he's so big. And, and she goes, Aslan, have you gotten bigger? And Aslan's response is no, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Hmm. Hmm. And, you know, the more we get to know the grandeur and the greatness of God, the bigger God gets in our life. Hmm. And honestly, the smaller our problems get. Doesn't mean we don't acknowledge them. Of course we do. We can lament about them. And we need to have... Um, as, I, as believers, we can have the tendency to just want to throw a Bible verse on someone who's hurting and kind of slap them on the back. That's not what we see in the scriptures. We mourn with those who mourn. We hurt. We acknowledge the hurt. We acknowledge the suffering. We see it. We set with it. And yet we still look for those promises of God, not the explanation. So a big part of my book is trying to help people get from this point of God. Why has this happened to God? I can trust you. I can trust you. I may not know the answer, I, but I know I can trust you. That's, that's a great word for us all. I thank you for that. Thank you for joining us today. In the next episode, I will continue our conversation with Dr. Jeremiah Johnston as we discuss shalom, the peace of God. Biblical Perspectives on Aging is brought to you by The Baptist Home, a ministry committed to setting a Christ-like standard of care for the aging. For more information, go to thebaptisthome.org. That's all one word, thebaptisthome.org. Together, we can be the voice for the aging. Thank you for joining us for this interview today. The Baptist Home has provided Christ-like care to the aging since 1913. To learn more about the biblically informed resources and solutions provided by The Baptist Home, go to www dot the baptist home that's all one word dot org again www dot the baptist home dot org you will find links to previous podcasts a growing number of church resources and detailed information about residential and long-term care communities until next time this is your host dr andy brams asking you to be a voice for the aging <music>